welcome to Prepare Like a Pro live chats. My name's Jack McLean. I created Prepare Like a Pro early in the year. We are a strength and conditioning business based in Melbourne, but we're also working with athletes all around the country. We specialise in athlete development for football. And if you're interested in working with us, head over to our website, preparelikeapro.com, where you can see more information about me as well as the other coaches at Prepare Like a Pro. We have free training programs you can download and our services are listed on the website. Super excited tonight to catch up with Ian McEwen. For those that don't know Ian, also known as Maccas, he is the head of performance of the Port Adelaide Football Club. Ian's further enjoys his work in athletic development through collaboration with research groups and consulting with a multitude of sports, most notably in tennis and football. He completed his PhD thesis in 2013 at the Australian Institute of Sport, titled Power Development and Movement Ability in Junior Athletes. Whilst completing his thesis, Ian worked with Matilda's football team as national coordinator sorry, of the physical performance. He also spent three years uh, coaching at the ACT Academy of Sport, leading the strength and conditioning programs for hockey and women's football. Prior to moving to Australia, Ian worked as a strength and conditioning coach at the Sports Institute of Northern Ireland for five years. So really looking forward to this chat. Bear with me. I'm just going to invite Maccas on to join us live. Beautiful, Matt. How are you? Going well, mate. Yourself? Good, thank you. Thanks for jumping on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really good. Really excited about this chat, mate. I'm looking forward to where it goes. Could go many ways. You've got plenty of experience. I'm so, just well, looking forward to listening to Watsy afterwards. Yeah, well, you, you can set him up, mate. We'll, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get cracking straight into it. Take us back to the beginning. When, what age, how old were you when you fell in love with fitness or working with elite athletes? Coaching, I probably, I've always been coached, whether it was... Uh, coaching younger kids whenever you were at school, so coaching the years below you, and then sort of going into a sports science degree. I was really lucky in that the first year or the first two years of the the degree, you ended up with a heap of coaching badges. So you ended up coach. I ended up spending my summers coaching tennis, hockey, rugby, cricket, and like football, soccer, on multiple different levels, male and female, okay. done from like four-year-olds right through to big kids as well. But in terms of the elite stuff, probably... It probably came a little bit later after I sort of pieced it all together in terms of, like, I knew I was always going to coach such, like, whether that was yeah. just coaching hockey or coaching whatever. But then, you know, taking that sort of that professional step into the sort of the more performance side of things probably came as everything sort of started to click together with, a sort of, I guess, understanding a bit more of the theory behind the human body and all mm. the rest of it. And sort of as I, I, I sort of didn't really do that at school as such, it was more after when I got into uni and really sort of clicked for me and then it sort yep. of all went from there. Yeah, fantastic. And so you mentioned your, was it high school days where you coach kids up younger in younger years than you in terms of how to run or what? It was all relative, but I was a pretty good yeah. hockey player yep. back back then. So all the sort of underage international stuff and that sort of things and whether it was a club, so you played first 11 or senior hockey pretty early. So you might maybe coach the under you might have been a first 11 player coaching the under-13s or something like that. So it's kind of just a bit of it. You give back. That was pretty early. That was sort of just what people did. That wasn't anything that I particularly went after. It just sort of happened. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so it was part of the culture growing up in Ireland, was it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's sharing or social. It wasn't wasn't particularly high level or anything, but it was just sort of making sure that even umpired or it's just the way the clubs were. It's the same everywhere. Yeah, fantastic. That's awesome. Do you... Do you think that shaped the culture that you try and now or that you've, you've formed in, in elite sports, whether it be with Matildas, Port Adelaide, in terms of everyone helping out and contributing and passing forward? 
yeah, like it, it's obviously various degrees with you know, different resources and that sort of side of things. So probably the, I guess what I what I really appreciate now is that I did have a a really like a long and probably arduous internship or yeah ju- junior coaching career where I had to learn how to do things on the fly with with very little equipment with very little motivated athletes that type of thing and and that sort of really form I, I I sort of feel like I'm very lucky to have done that now particularly when you see like whether it's with the advent of of more sports science degrees and more internships and a more sort of accessibility to elite level prep and, and the sort of the elite club stuff, which is incredibly, we're going to be lucky to be able to do. But I think that by being exposed that you sort of see where, where some people maybe haven't been given the chance to develop those skills. And then all of a sudden they expect that there's always four trainers at training, that there's always some, but the, the, mm. the pitch is always magically free for them, that the, it's hockey, the pitch is always watered for them. It's always ready to go. There's always cones and balls ready to go. Like that's certainly not the case. And it's that, I think it's that whether it's the sweeping the shed stuff or it's humility or yeah, yeah, yeah. who knows, but it's it sort of all adds up. And I would say that like I don't think it's any one particular thing that of my journey that's made me who I am today or anything like that. I think that it's all of it all together. For sure. Probably what I've tried to take from it over time, which has made me sort of realize the importance of the environment and, and sort of creating good characters and good you know and a nice environment to be able to work within. Yeah, absolutely. And what made you choose to go down the path of sports science if, if your first experiences was like the more the tactical side coaching these junior teams? Yeah, a bit like most sort of Northern Irish or Irish or UK or wherever you are in the world, like when you're an 18 year old, probably if you had half decent sport, probably the, the ultimate's being a PE teacher. Yeah. Well, it, it certainly was back in the, in the 90s, the late 90s, whenever I was around. So that just says how long I've been around now, but it's probably the only thing that kept you in sport. Right. Other really like you know rugby union wasn't professional uh, i don't know about AFL. i mean where fl was at back in the day like for us it was there wasn't professional sport really apart from premier league soccer and that was incredibly hard to get into so yeah um, you know that wasn't really a, an avenue before us back then yeah okay oh fantastic and did you have uh, strong mentors or you know people that influenced your career while you're shaping it in early days or is it something that you've you're sort of self-taught in a sense of reading books and put yourself into workshops and experience, you know, have you had mentors along the way or is it more something that you've done through personal uh, development? Yeah, I would like to think that I'm, I'm really self-driven and there's a lot that I've picked up by putting myself in really uncomfortable situations, whether that's with learning environments and going into rooms where I have absolutely no clue of what these other people are talking about and trying to pick up things and, and learn that way. But that would be unfair for the people that have helped me along my journey as well. I have to really, there's, there's a lot of people that have helped me um, along the way. And probably it's good timing whenever I was coming through sort of sports science and like at University of Ulster, which is where I was, sort of did my degree. It was very tied with Ulster rugby at the time, which is the only thing that's, that's worth doing if you're um, an Ulsterman. Yeah. So like I had some, just happened to know the people that went into those roles and they all came from, quite a lot of people have come through there that are really successful SNC coaches now. And I think that that's, that's probably one of the, the important things that I did pick up along the way. The, the Sports Institute was just starting out. So I was never going to be good enough to be an athlete in an institute set up, but I was kind of close enough that they kind of let me do it and just sort of mm-hmm. hang out and just sort of be part of it. And I, I was really conscious to not get in the way and let the, the people who you know, get the, the boys and girls who are actually really good get the time with the coaches. But it sort of let me, I guess, be... Uh, it's probably like an internship. It was a very practical internship in that I was able to train and be part of it 
as much as anybody and probably took it from an athlete's point of view. So it was, yeah. it was really a nice hybrid way of, of, of doing it, which was, I, looking back on it, I was incredibly lucky to do because it's just something that you just, it's just impossible to offer young starting out S&C coaches or, or any coaches, whether or any professionals. You just, you just can't do it to them, can't give them that opportunity anymore. Yeah. So seeing it is really important. I'd say feeling it is probably yeah. the biggest thing. I, I've had sort of several discussions this week around like, it's not just about writing the program because a program's program to me, but it's, a, it's actually feeling it and imagining it and living it in your head. And then you're, it's a visceral response to like writing mm-hmm. a program. And if yeah. you don't have that, I just don't think you can be as good a coach or as vibrant a coach or as you just don't get the same connection or the same belief out of, the, out of your players or your athletes if you just don't have that. Good to be excited about something. Like that's, that's yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. That's, the, that's, that's the easy thing to be excited about. And to be able to deliver that is such a privilege. And it's, it's a way that I dare anyone to be better at me than, than me at that. Yeah, fantastic. So for, for, for S&Cs that are watching... So how can they apply that? You write a sprint program and then goes for six weeks, go and do it, basically, that type of approach? It's probably more, like, don't just write it. It's probably, don't, don't bother, like, don't write it, start it. Like, don't spend the time worrying about six weeks of it. Go and see what, yeah. explore what it's like. What are the progressions like? What is it? Where do you need to start with this stuff? It's going to change every time. Don't just assume that this is the, once you've got a template in place, that's, that's it. Sometimes yeah. that's absolutely true. I'm, I'm not begrudging that, but. just go through the thought process and just understand where everything's at. And then from that, I think that you'll create such a a unique and and it's it's such a more interesting program for one, for you to coach, but then also for someone to have for to to be a part of. Um, Mm. Because if anything, you're doing something which is special to them, it's unique to them without it being terribly onerous on anybody. Yeah, for sure. I know personally, the last couple of years, it is a struggle to find that extra time to, well, not extra time, but prioritize your own training. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is probably selfish of me, but <laughs> someone that's been in the game for longer, how do you find the time to have your own time to do your training? I know you're, you're a parent as well, and obviously you're still involved in elite sport. You're, you've done your PhD, so you, you get a lot done. How do you, is it, do you structure time throughout your day and you work that out the night before with your partner? Like take us through sort of how you get your own training out oh, i'm terrible at it i'm to be honest it's, it's one of the things which i i'm the little irish bloke that screams in the corner it's kind of like rather than the the adonis that's that never misses a session i think that i spend so much time and it's right or wrong i don't care like people are they're wired differently but i just feel that i give so much into the sessions mentally and and physically when i'm coaching them and that's my priority yeah. to be honest i can not give a shit if, if i've got that session in that day at that time like i'll care about it later and I'll yeah. get down on myself if I continually miss sessions and I'm, I'm not consistent with my training. But to yeah. be honest, it's, it's absolutely not my priority. My priority is to yeah. make sure that my athletes get the best of me, not yes. that they get the second half of me after I've done my session and then that's in priority. Fuck that. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. I think that what I have learned is how to sort of park that side of it and explore, like really, truly like invest in different people's methods and understand yeah. how I, like I might only take one bit and it might only be for one year or one program or whatever, but truly invest the time learning and mastering the different skills rather than just saying like the example that always comes to my mind is stuff like Eldoa stretching, which is something which I picked up from Altus and i sort of yeah. ran with. And I invested heavily in that, did a long course talking of being in a room where you, I didn't understand a word that they were talking about. My God, that was, different level stuff what course was I, sorry it was eldoa e-l-d-o-a 
Yep. So it's, it's a French Canadian guy called Guy Voyer, and it's a, right. it's, a, it's a particular type. It's a methodology of stretching. It's a bit like a neural stretch. It's it's postural stuff. It's it's a bit of everything, and it, it it's yeah, really it's hardcore. Like it's freaking tough. Contract and release type stuff, or is it? It's more like it's it's more contract, 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 and stretch and stretch and stretch and, and pull yourself okay. in the right direction. It's a big it's co-option of, of spine and trying to release. It's a bit like fascial stretching type stuff. It's a bit of a, a bit of a mixture of everything we got at port we did it religiously for years and we got into yeah. it and it was and i see some of the boys have just joined on here so they went through this and they, yeah. they hated it but some of them still liked it and like to be honest like whether it worked or not i don't care but what you explored at it the time i explored it fully and give it a yeah. best chance rather than it's a bit like you know, people doing bosch stuff now like get fully immersed in it yourself before yes. you start throwing it into programs and just putting it on instagram stories just to look good Yep, don't yep, do yep. that like go and go and fully invest i think of the stuff i used to do with like i did eric cressy's programs back in the day charlie weingroff stuff you know i spent a lot of time with kelly starrett and his methodology i'm on ready yeah, state yeah. every every day doing ready state stuff just to for sure it's for myself but it's actually to see how i can can that be used for let's see billy frampton you know could, uh, could that be used for mm-hmm. him could that be used for ollie or anyone like who, who are the just that one thing could that actually make a difference so that's yeah. the sort of stuff that I, I try to try to do. In that, no, I love in that. that. That's a, I actually stole that question from, from a coach that worked in the Box Hill and he asked me that question. I didn't have the same answer, so I'll definitely tag him. I had a similar okay. answer, but not, not as deep as yours, but I tried to get a similar. Uh, I could, I could probably go all day on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's, uh, I mean, that resonates with me because it's, uh, I probably took the decision maybe three years ago to commit to coaching as my number one and put the athlete side of things secondary. Where three years yeah. ago I was definitely battling with the two, and like yeah. you said, sometimes I'd I'd be an awesome athlete, but I was a shit coach, you know. And it was a constant battle. Where I feel to be the best, to be the best father as well as the best coach, you sort of you have to have that focus of well, what am I training for? And if you're having the athlete in mind, you're using your body as a laboratory, and you're still getting experience, like you said, to get that connection with the athlete and have that excitement when you're trying new things out with your athletes. You're coming from experience. So, yeah, thanks, mate. That was a great answer. So with the PhD and the thesis, like you've done a lot of work in development with athletes. And I know there's a lot of guys that sort of follow my page in that space, sort of your 16 to 19 year old male and females. What are some key points, at, whether it be at Port Adelaide or, or just your own personal belief that you focus on that are really, really important for a developing athlete, from, you know, I guess from an athletic development point of view in the sport of football? Uh, look, I think if if you want me to say you got to do your you know the AAA stuff as an example from the PhD, so you got to do your your lunges, your squats, your push pull. You can listen. There's plenty of people talk about that that yeah. side of things. Get your fundamental movements. Whatever you spend the time to understand and really believe what you think is important from a fundamental or from a foundational movement pattern point of view for every player. Like, mm. what do you believe? Because then that's how you're going to coach it. Don't listen to what. Don't just take what I say as gospel. Go and mm. like, actually spend the time to do that yourself. The one thing I would absolutely make sure that you do is that you have, so one, by having that um, in place, you end up with a, a, probably a little bit more accountability to your program, but then also just engagement, whether the 16 to, to 19 year olds are even younger or even older, doesn't matter. Just make sure that they're engaged in the process and that they're part of the, they understand to varying levels. Like some of them will understand more than others and, and want to understand more, but just under, just make them engaged in the process and you show that you're passionate about how this is going to help them. And keystone for me, if you get that right, whether you do 
five single leg RDLs or whether you do it with your hands out in front or hands by on your hips, I, I'm really not that fast. It's more that yeah, it's yeah. more if you get that engagement right, then all of a sudden warm ups become better because you've you've got a connection with them. Then you can demand a little bit more of them. So don't let them away with doing a walk in lunge poorly in a warm up. Don't let them squat like if they're going to squat well in the gym, they have to squat well everywhere. Like yeah, yeah, make yeah. sure that they're engaged and they're switched on to that stuff at times. They don't have to be all the time, and it doesn't have to be a, a military run thing. But it's yeah. just if you want to start to see, if you want to chip away at, at moving patterns, and you want to get people towards your ideal, then you have to you have to sort of put that in place and and sneak that in in different ways so that they do engage. Yep. And for athletes that it may be really hard or financial, they don't have access to a gym. What would you recommend that they do? Like, is there is it power bands, mini bands? Is it setting up a dumbbell at home? What would be your sort of key pillars that you'd recommend is it just focus on the running side of things and body weight work yeah look i think that there's uh, again uh, there's a lot of people exploring how to and particularly during this last year about how to do body weight stuff or how to do more stuff at home with little to no weights like that's there's plenty of people out there like i guess from a, a strength and conditioning point of view like an advocate of of making sure you've got your eccentric work in so doing your nordics that sort of stuff but again probably as long as you're whatever you're doing as long as you're walking out and you can and don't quote me on the numbers exactly, mm. but if you can do a Copenhagen lever for a minute each side or for reps of 20 to 30, if you can do single leg calf raises for 30, 40 plus, if you can you know, hold yourself in a hip abduction position for a long period of time, if you get that right, then we can worry yeah. about how, well, how much you squat, all that other stuff, that comes later. The amount of people that can't do those things, and it's only whenever things start to fall apart that you find that, oh, well, no wonder he, getting the calf strains or his celeus is sore because his, his calf capacity is so poor. At yeah. least at least get that stuff knocked in the head and make sure that it's, it's not even an issue. Yep. Then we can worry about the other stuff and how well you hinge and how well you move. And that, that can come as long yeah. as you get the other stuff in place. And that's certainly something that's changed in how I would talk about that stuff over time. Probably the more I get disappointed with programming whenever that stuff doesn't, you, you, you know, you grow up, in essence, you thinking that squatting and RDLs and Olympic lifting is the only thing you need to do to become better mm. as an athlete. And actually, whenever you start working with these players and you work out, oh shit, okay, well maybe they maybe they do need to do some of this other stuff just to get themselves into a position where that capacity is is adequate to be able to do the training. Like that's never going to change. In fact, it's just going to get harder and harder. So I think yeah. that that's it's not sexy. It's not it's not what no. the literature's out there. It's not what you know, it's not what Vern and all the, the godfathers of SNC are talking about, but it's just something which has to be done. And if it's if it's not, well, sorry, your program's not good enough, so go back and do it. So Yeah. yeah. And so that makes a lot of sense why the engagement and, you know, relationship with the athletes is so important to, to well, buy into to those things. How do you do that? Because straight away, I, I know when, I, when you talk about Copenhagen's and Nordics and these type <laughs> of exercises, especially holding for, for a good period of time, you need that trust and, and respect from your athletes to buy into those exercises. That, like you said, they're not as sexy. What are some good ways for S and Cs to to do that? Maybe they might be starting a new program, so they've they've got to build. Yeah, that. Well, yeah, and whether that's just appropriate progressions and and like if it's working with teams over a long period of time, you start off with introducing it as isometrics, or whether it's it's fun, whether it's in different things yeah. that you're trying to play, you're just sneaking it in, and it's. It's 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 age appropriate or development appropriate. And I don't mean that from like an under sixteen versus under eighteen, but like like in terms of their maturity, like can you actually get 
16 year olds to sit and do isometrics probably not because they're you know little shitheads most of the time they don't yeah. want to do that so can you trick them into doing it in a certain way or and that's going to change with different groups so i don't want to say that this is how you to do it essentially sure, but i think sure. that by by spending the time actually pondering okay okay what's buy-in look like for this group at this time you know i mean we can all go out there and we read conscious coaching for example or we read yeah, yeah. We, we talk to everyone else that's doing this stuff and we go okay well maybe Maybe I can take something from them. The greatest S&C coaches are the ones that steal the best rather than the ones that say they've made it up themselves are probably telling a few half-truths there. So try and steal yeah. from the people that you can. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that, so there's a progression there just like with your exercise stuff. You see mm. what, what's in front of you with the group, where they're at, and then uh, over time you're sort of working towards where you want to be with them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, fantastic. Thank, thanks so much for your time, Ian. We'll, we'll wrap it up with, with 2021, mate. What are you excited about for, for next year? I'm hoping that we get some normality back to, to training environments and things like that. But I'm, I'm really interested and very excited about how do we distill the stuff which has been actually really positive about this year, particularly from an AFL restrictions and training restrictions point of view. How do we take the good bits and the bits that we've learned from? Because we've probably had a, a year of accelerated growth or accelerated exposure to just things which we would never have even been able to consider before so can we actually mm -hmm. take that and can we be strong enough as a club as a performance team as a high performance manager to to take those positives and, and and make sure that they work work for the long term with us rather than just be sort of a, a 2020 and brush it under the yeah fantastic yeah it's an awesome mindset to have and alone normality would be a really good thing so good to hear adelaide's in going well as well yes yes you need to, yeah keep keep it coming keep it coming yeah oh fantastic really appreciate it for your time mate been good chatting no no pleasure and thank you very much for all your help it's been really 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 valuable thank you very much awesome Akers. we'll speak soon mate cheers thank you catch up thanks for see watching ya. guys see you guys